welcome. This is Too Many Captains, a movie podcast, and you are listening to episode 78. My name is Money Chris, and it's my turn to pick the movie. I chose Signs for our deep dive because Knock at the Cabin, the apocalyptic psychological horror from director M. Night Shyamalan, dropped in theaters last weekend, and I decided to look at a classic movie from the filmmaker known for his supernatural plots and twist endings. Fortunately, I am joined by the whole team once again as we are all wearing protective aluminum foil hats to prevent brainwave interference. Hello, Movie Matt. Hello. Johnny D. Greetings. Maddie G. Hey. All right, it is time to swing away and start the show. Guys, is it getting hot in here? <laughs> I don't so know. So hot? Because on the day this film was released, August 2nd of 2002, It's Getting Hot in Hair by Nelly was the number one song in the country. What else was happening in the world? Well, we were deep in the midst of a U.S. uh, stock market downturn. U.S. government was suing Microsoft. We were also witnessing the Israeli-Palestinian conflict continue to play out. I feel like... Three of those things are still just as relevant today. You could be talking about this week. So nothing's changed. I mean, also... Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Vladimir Putin announced uh, a few weeks after the film came out that Belarus would be fully integrated into Russia. (laughs) Gosh. That guy. It's amazing. It's crazy how little has changed in, what, just over 20 years? I know. So in these turbulent times, the real question is, how much money did the film make at the box office? And for that, we go to money. All right. So Science has a 75% tomato meter score and a 67% audience score. Not great. A little bit lower than I expected. It made $408 million on a budget of $72 million. That's a lot of baseball bats and asthma inhalers. (laughs) (laughs) It did not win any major awards it was nominated and you know won some of the smaller sci-fi awards and things like that mm. johnny dangerous tell us who is on your well-made casting couch <laughs> yeah, cozy right up next to me here thankfully once again we do have a new inductee into hashtag team turkey it is the supremely talented and often oppositional Joaquin Phoenix. You may remember his finest role as Freddie Quell in The Master, or subsequently as John Callahan in Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot. But today, he is the failed minor league baseball player and wonderful uncle, Merrill Hess. I was thinking about it, and this movie kind of took place at an interesting time in the career of Mel Gibson. Still an A-lister at the time, but the major controversies didn't break for a few more years. While the other three lead actors, Joaquin and the two kids, really took advantage of the positive press from this movie and had really productive careers over the next five years. Did you guys have any other thoughts on the cast of this film? I totally, it's been over 10 years since I've seen this, so I totally forgot that Cherry Jones was in this movie. She's so good. And she is pretty much, if she's in something, you you know she's going to do a good job. Yep. 
I think she's one of like just like one of my favorite like small town sheriffs in film. This particular role, I love that character. That's every you just everybody but extras in the movie. Now you've just named them all. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we could talk about the yeah. third Calkin, Abigail Breslin, who kind of had a huge childhood. I mean, she kind of slowed down a little bit, but she's uh, the last big thing I saw her in was the Zombie Land too. Yeah. Double tap, <laughs> double tap. Is this Colkin doing anything today? I mean, he's still shows. acting, but he's not not had the success of his brothers. I mean, I, right now it's all about Kieran. Sure. He's the one who's tearing it up. Yeah. So he was in a movie I've I've had on my queue for a long time. Uh, most recently, this was in 2018. He was in a film called Lords of Chaos, which is about the black death metal bands that were in Norway back in the... 80s and 90s. Okay. Notorious for doing things like setting churches on fire and <laughs> like doing some really heinous stuff with dead bodies and Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's and he plays up. one of the he band played, members. He plays one of the band members, yeah. Interesting. He's I think he's the lead in that movie. So I did have a deep cut from the cast. I don't know if you guys noticed him or know his face, but Michael Showalter. Yeah. So he is an actor, but he's really known for his directing. Yeah. And I think he's become one of my favorite current directors. I mean, his last couple of films that I both that I really enjoyed were The Big Sick and The Eyes of Tammy Faye, both excellent. Mm-hmm. And if you like this whatever platinum age of TV we're going through right now, he has directed multiple episodes in 2020. One and 2022 of The Shrink Next Door, The Dropout, and I Love That For You, all of which come highly recommended from me. Yeah. He's good. He's the Merrill's, I don't know, what do you call him? Nemesis. From high school. At the recruiting station. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. It's funny to see him in that kind of role because he's usually in the geek role instead of the cool guy role. I think most people know him acting from the Wet Hot American summer movies. So, yeah. Also, Gracie and Frankie. Grace and Frankie, but but yeah, Grace and Frankie. (laughs) Gracie and Frank, completely different, (laughs) completely different show. Now begins the Inquisition. Inquisition. Let's begin the Inquisition. Look out, see. All right. I didn't go too crazy with this. I do have a two part question. And I, I thought maybe Movie Gross might be a weird place to start. What is Mel Gibson's highest grossing movie? Passion of the Christ. That was going to be my guess. Yeah. That he starred in. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> I like Sorry. how he did that. He was like, I knew I'm, I'm going to. Pull the rug out from under him right here. Um, oh, Braveheart, Braveheart, yeah, or one of the <clears throat> lethal weapons. Are you going to tell us if we get it? So we keep guessing. <laughs> well, keep I'd, guessing. I'll, okay, I'll tell you. Well, actually, you guess. Con- you conspiracy it theory. Uh, <laughs> it was. It's science. Oh, is it really? It's science. Nice. Wow. So okay. it's kind of surprising. You said like, four hundred million, right? Yeah. yeah. It's like possible. Braveheart. You know, you're like, oh, it's Braveheart, right? That's the first thing you think, and right. it would make sense considering it's Braveheart, but signs made more money. All right. Round two. What are M. Night's 
top three grossing movies in order? I think it's going to be the first three, but in Sixth Sense, Signs, and then Unbreakable. Okay. Well, not you first got three two films, and three. His first three major films. You got Sorry. two, three. You got one and two. The real so, question that I was trying to ask was, what's the third highest grossing movie he's done? So which two are the uh, this and Signs? Sixth Sense, Sixth Sense and this. And then there's a third movie. Is it newer? Is it that split like movie? Split or, or Glass? Happening? Glass? Nope. The Village? Nope. Last Airbender? Yes, it's the last airbender. That's what I was ones. wondering is if it's not something that has big IP but was yeah, so critically unpopular. And I was, think Last Airbender would be have the most IP of any. I was kind of surprised mm. with the last airbender being number three. I was thinking that would have been a little bit lower based on its critical acclaim. Right, but its budget is probably higher than anything else, too. Yeah. And I think it was like marketed by like Disney or somebody like somebody owned it like that. People did not like that movie. But, uh, you know, it's an avatar though. So avatar stepbrother, they don't like to talk about. (laughs) Yep. Randy G, break it down. Get on down. Break it down. All right. Former priest Graham Hess lives on a farm in rural Pennsylvania with his asthmatic son, Morgan, and young daughter, Bo. Graham's younger brother, Merrill, is a former minor league baseball player who is helping Graham raise his family since Graham's wife died in a traffic accident six months earlier. In the aftermath of his wife dying, Graham turned his back on the church. Large crop circles appear in the Hess's cornfield. It is chalked up to vandals. However, crop circles then begin to appear across the world and hovering lights appear above many cities across the world as well. One night, Graham and Merrill chase a dark figure into the cornfield. Graham follows it into the cornfield and catches a glimpse of the figure again, along with the same clicking noises heard earlier through Bo's old baby monitor. So, while I was watching this, guys, there were several moments where, watching it right now, in 2023, (laughs) that seemed different from what I remember. (laughs) And I can't tell if my memory is wrong or if technology has changed the experience over the years. I could have sworn that it was very hard to make out the figure atop the barn and in the cornfield, but watching the Blu-ray on my current TV, it seemed fairly clear. Did anybody else have a similar experience? I didn't didn't remember seeing any of the aliens until... You get to the footage in Mexico with the right. kids. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Yeah. That's like I remember seeing. Like, I remember you could see a figure, but it wasn't like it I felt like a, I was like seeing it. Like, how can they think that's a guy on the roof? Yeah. Like, he could see that guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's just got to be the Technology the 1080 yeah. copy on the Blu-ray or the digital file, and then our much brighter TVs than what we saw in the theaters. And I, you know, my projector's right. probably trying to do the contrast and stuff right but yeah i was i was like i uh, the first thing i thought when i saw him on the roof was like i didn't think you saw him until the end towards the end of the movie right me too yeah i actually thought the same thing shockingly Uh, speaking of technology these aliens using fucking rf yeah (laughs) why haven't they gone digital (laughs) i'm sitting there thinking like, like you know i was thinking at one point i was like well maybe they're doing digital because there was a bunch of clicks i was like no that's just them talking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't even think we have RF baby monitors anymore. 
That's true. That's there, gone there digital. Are, yeah, that's all digital. It's all IP, <laughs> you know, TCP IP, you know, connection. I mean, these aliens, man, just need some super soakers. <laughs> Don't get away the end yet. He hasn't got there yet. Family keeps tabs on the news, and eventually their fears seem to be realized. Extraterrestrials have come to Earth. Graham gets a call from Ray Reddy, the man responsible for his wife's death. He seems in a state of shock, sitting in his truck outside his house. Ray expresses remorse for what happened to Graham's wife and warns him that there's a creature locked inside his pantry. Ray leaves, and Graham goes inside Ray's house. Using a kitchen knife to look under the door, he sees a creature whose hand takes a swipe at Graham, and he reacts by cutting some of the creature's fingers off. So, I will say, Ray was like, it just so happened. I fell asleep at exactly the wrong time. Mm-hmm. It's like it was meant to be. A few seconds earlier, a few seconds later. Would it set a tree? And that's why I never go walking. True. I'm just kidding. It's the worst thing you can do. <laughs> Damn the doctors. What do they know? I kept thinking about what the news coverage would be like today. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that'd be crazy. Oh, you'd be flipping channels and it'd be like, that's not an alien. No, that's not an alien. <laughs> it'd be, that's just it'd a be guy other, in a suit. It'd be other side. Antifa. It'd be other side. Antifa. It'd be like, yeah. Antifa. 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 <laughs> the radical left wants you to believe. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hoax. Yeah. Something that kind of talking about Ray reminded me of this. I don't ever remember putting this together when I used when I saw this movie many times before. But the whole reason that at the very beginning, Graham, his kids are asking him, you know, the kid, the dog's acting weird, and he's like, "I'll call so and so," and he says, "Oh, that's the that's." That's the human. That's our doctor. They don't work on animals. He's like, well, I'm going to talk to them because he's got an issue with Ray, who's the vet. Yeah. I just never like clicked for me. And I was like, "Ah, genius. Yeah. (laughs) Nice, nice precursor, precursor, but you don't don't pick up on it. Yeah. That's, that's one of the things I like about his films is that they have rewatchability because you pick up on things like that the second or third time. Every little thing that people say or do matters for some reason. Yeah. As the alien invasion begins all over the world, the family barricades themselves inside their house. When the aliens break in, they head for the basement. <laughs> Sorry, I'm jumping back in right away. That's okay. I wanted to talk about what I think is the most important scene of the movie. And it's the one between Graham and Merrill on the couch after the kids have fallen asleep. That conversation that the two of them have had. He basically explains the premise of that there's two different kinds of people in the world and those who see coincidence versus those who see fate. And Graham, at first, like he seems to be consoling his brother, trying to make him feel better and opening up to the possibility of fate and seeing signs, which leads to the hilarious anecdote about a high school crush. (laughs) But (laughs) then Graham, like he just can't stomach it anymore. (laughs) His, I don't know. It's trauma. His bitterness comes through and he's like, says, you know, I've lost my faith and I can't believe that. And we're on our own. And there's just like, it's such a powerful scene. And there's so many, like just the extent exchanges between them. And then 
you can see these two people who were in charge of these kids and the kids are there asleep. And I feel like it makes it even more so where you're like, okay, what are they going to do and how are they going to handle this situation based on their philosophies? So I'm going to, we already talked, we, we did this on uh, Mrs. Money's interview, but I'll tell the story again. She's not here to tell it, but she had gone to go see signs. And then I guess her parents had gone to go see signs. And uh, so she was home alone. You know, she's, 20 at this point. Right. So she's not like she's a small child or anything, but <laughs> her parents came home and started banging on the walls outside the house <laughs> and stuff and going around and both of them ran on it. And she's like, stop it. <laughs> um, anyway, that's a, that's a good, um, if it was dark and I was young, like it serves them right. If she peed on their couch, <laughs> or something. You know? she's like, you terrified me. <laughs> Because that that is. I mean, she was twenty, but well, I'm still you know, saying, like, man, I so that's I, I could see being uh, you could be spooked by that. Yeah, pretty pretty creepy. I, that would that would definitely freak me out a little bit. <laughs> it struck me as weird that there were no guns, especially rural. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah, you know, when they went into the basement, like even at the end, I was like, and where's this shotgun? He's gonna pull out an old shotgun. Yeah. No, no guns throughout the film. Nope. You know, not even a this four hundred dollar water gun I found on Amazon. <laughs> to be fair, almost all of them are probably depressed, so that's another reason I'd have guns. It's true. And no gun, no gun rack for the vet. You know, he had to put down some horses. It's bullcrap. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe uh, I. I don't know. I mean, we're when we think of rural, we're thinking of Oklahoma. I don't know if rural Pennsylvania is any different, but I would assume it's equally gun-toting country. <laughs> I've been to rural Pennsylvania. Okay. They got their guns. <laughs> okay. I, thought so. I mean, I figure it's like that everywhere, but you never know. When the aliens break in, the family head for the basement. Morgan ends up having an asthma attack after one of the aliens gets close to snatching him by accessing an old coal shaft. He survives the night after Graham helps soothe him with controlled breathing. The family wakes up the next day amid reports from the radio that the aliens abruptly left Earth as if something spooked them off. They emerge from the basement to the rest of the house. While moving the TV, Graham sees the figure in the reflection of the screen. He turns around to find the alien previously trapped in Ray's pantry has taken Morgan hostage. The way that M. Knight takes his time to give us increasingly more information through flashbacks and dream sequences about what happened the night of the accident is just so masterfully done. And we don't find out the last bits of what he was told by his wife until like they're literally standing there confronting the eight fingered alien and it draws out the dramatic tension. Like there's, it's not that long of a scene that they're, you know, in there, but because we get that last final flashback while the whole family's there, and and the the new visitor yeah. <laughs> that it just like it man it, it ratchets it up and I I don't think I remembered that's another thing that I don't really remember I didn't remember how he told us that and how it was like a little bit a little bit more and then the big final piece so I think they only had 
eight fingers to start with. Oh, okay. Six so, fingered alien. This would be a six fingered alien. It's very homeocentric of you to Sorry. assume the number of appendages. <laughs> There's so many little details I didn't pick up on because as a person with ADD, I couldn't pay attention for every long drawn out scene that was every scene in the film. <laughs> I feel like we're getting a preview. Foreshadowing. <laughs> I uh, like. I I, I gotta. I gotta push back. This is the commentary part, right? Mm-hmm. I don't find it masterful. I okay. find it slow. It's kind of like when I'm not prepared for my my review. <laughs> that's that I what just they said like, about you in elementary school, but you turned out okay. <laughs> I mean, that's true too. But like you know, when I when I'm not prepared for my uh, you know into the film, and I just drag it out. And, do these long awkward pauses. So you're building it's, tension for us. I'm building tension for the listener. And I am now going to start referring to you and as I, the master master of suspense. Okay. <laughs> except, like, I, except I cut all that out. So it's usually I screw up. His, that's true. It's like, it's just like a nice. So editorially, we are more advanced than this film because we cut that out. Just wow. saying. All right. I contrasting view. I, I did like that. I thought that we learned earlier. What happened? I mean, I guess we did know what happened. He told you, mm-hmm. but you didn't see it. And then I, I missed, what did he say? Does she refer to him as Graham? Yes. She see. says, tell Graham to tell see. Graham to see. Yeah. But like, so like, I think that only furthered his disbelief in her being cognizant. It's yeah, like, she doesn't even know who I am right now. Yeah. And maybe she didn't, but she was, right. she was he giving kept- a very specific message that he needed to hear. True. And you know he thinks that because he says that line where she wasn't there. Correct. Brain synapses synapses are just firing. Yeah. And remembered something about the baseball game. Yep. It's a great use of that whole fate versus coincidence. I'm I'm, I'm bringing it back a little bit, but I wanted to talk about the use of VHS tapes to record things. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That was kind of fun to give like, oh yeah, that's the way that used to go. There's no TiVo. Yes. Although I think at that point there was a TiVo, but they didn't have one, which whatever. And I thought that was kind of interesting that they were like, oh, let's go check the footage from what we had recorded earlier. And then also no like internet or anything. Yes. Hugely different. Yeah. Yeah. The the scene with the first alien shot from Brazil and they were like, this is from yesterday and our affiliate feeded it. Like now I'd be like, 20 seconds ago, yes. someone posted this TikTok. Yeah. Oh, my God. It would have been like, yeah, within 10 minutes, everybody would be seeing it on their TikTok and sharing it and be like, right. what the yeah. hell is this? Well, and also when you find the solution, their weakness, that get, oh, gets yeah. around like, way faster. Yeah. Instead of being like, they drove them away. We don't know how exactly. Yeah. Yeah. When it's like, it wasn't very complicated. Dude, I would have had my pressure washer <laughs> fired up. It's like I'd murdering. Probably been screwed though, because it always flips the GFCI switch. And you're always like, damn it, nah, reset, reset. Gonna pee on them. The heroes would be like everybody with like a crop duster or like the trucks that like with a big sprayer tank on it, just driving yeah. around, mowing them down. You know, awesome. similarly, if you put holy water in your 
humidifier it turns your house into a gas chamber for vampires <laughs> i thought you were gonna say demons but yeah vampires too. Sure. so the real question is is there a sequel to the film where the aliens come back with wetsuits it's only a, it's a few hundred years according to the it's kid. called yeah. wet hot american summer <laughs> graham flashes back to his wife's dying words then he tells meryl to swing away the alien sprays Morgan with gas from his wrist. Merrill grabs the baseball bat hanging on the wall and attacks the alien while Graham recovers Morgan. In the attack, Merrill hits one of the dozens of glasses Bo has left around the house and the water burns the alien's skin. He continues to attack the alien and smash glasses of water towards it, eventually killing it. Graham has taken Morgan outside and gives him his asthma medication, hoping his son's lungs were too constricted and prevented him from inhaling the toxic spray from the alien. After a tense couple of moments, Morgan recovers. Months later, after the ordeal, Graham is shown getting dressed and donning his priest collar once more as they are about to head to the church. End credits. I like the fact that he ended up finding his faith again and and that part of the story. I think he was probably definitely Graham was too reluctant to believe things, especially when it's, it was pretty obvious when there's all sorts of news and things that look, this is, these are aliens. Like this is not normal. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, Oh no, it's just a hoax. And like when he goes in with like the alien in the pantry and he's like, I'm the police. Yeah, <laughs> I am here as police. We know what you've been up to, but if you tell us the truth, the, the paddy wagon, yeah. the, the, the paddy the wagon. Paddy wagon. <laughs> but see, I think there's, I think there's a lot of humor in all that. Like he's, he's talking himself up in those situations. Yeah. Like he, he's struggling between belief and non-belief, and he's like, everything is showing him that this is real, but he just is like, it can't be which I think is pretty normal. Even if you weren't like if these things were happening, I would be trying to kind trying to find an excuse. My favorite one of those is when he comments to the dog, like you're going to feel pretty stupid when you realize this is all fake. (laughs) It's all in your head. You know, that's just so like I, I can relate to it. And I feel like it adds so many moments of levity is that he is seeing things that he can't explain, but he's got to, it can't be this crazy thing. Can we talk about the dog? They forgot oh, the dog. Yeah, and the, the, well, I don't the think they even mentions it. They said like they we were going to the get dog. her after dinner, and then they ran out of time because they could see them out there. Man, we probably would have put the dog in the safe before the humans. <laughs> Our place. <laughs> Movie Matt would have died. Train to the garage. <laughs> the dog would be inside. Old old movie Toby would be uh... <laughs> movie Toby. <laughs> What's going on, guys? I did feel bad. The the dogs definitely got the worst of it. Yeah. Yeah. That sucks. I think one of the hardest scenes for me was seeing Morgan having to kill his own dog to defend his sister. Yeah. yeah. And like, I was just thinking about that, like walking up on that scene as a dad, I was thinking, God, like, what would you even say? Like, it's okay. I understand. But at the same time, he doesn't even believe necessarily what's happening. He doesn't really know. I don't know. It was just like, I was like, that that would be really tough to deal with and how to comfort him. 
in that time. If you're really not believing, you're just like, does this mean my son's going to be? A yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, is, is there something wrong with my kid? Right. Did the dog do this? You know? And then like, you're trusting on the report of a, whatever, a 10 year old and an eight year old, or I don't know. It's, I was like, gosh. Yeah. And then if, I mean, I don't know how he felt about his dogs, but if it was my dog, I'd feel pretty distraught yeah. and be like, wow. I mean, I mean, anything's possible. You hear about animals doing crazy things anyway, but. I think if you thought that your animal was trying to kill your kids, you'd probably be like, oh, well, that's too bad. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying I would take the dog's side. Right. I'm just saying I'd be like, what happened? Yeah. No, I, <laughs> yeah you'd, you'd be more alarmed at first for sure. And today, you know, I mean, I know you've got cameras running your house. You can go to Instant Replay. I would hope I, <laughs> they would probably be like one of the many times that for some reason, like, they aren't working or disconnected. Hey, let's, uh, let's see what really happened to your kids. Uh, let's go to the Instant Replay. Is this going to be indisputable? Uh, yeah. There'll be enough video evidence to overturn yes. the verdict. But going back to what you said about Mel Gibson, though, that, that was kind of against his typecast to see him in a role like this, especially back then, because, you know, you had your lethal weapons and all the other yeah. movies where he's the, he's always the person who acts. Yes. As opposed to being reactive. And so correct. It was a very different role for him. Right. And he's this. kind of a, he's a pacifist, at yeah. least compared to his brother. His brother's like, let's go do something. Let's scare him. Let's jump these guys. And he's like, let's go. Ah, let's, 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 call the, let's call the cops. You know, let's, like he's not wanting to take things into his own hands and he ends up having to, but it's interesting yeah. choosing him as a, a Joaquin as a brother instead of like oldest child or something. Yeah. There was quite an age gap there. Oh, I mean in real life, but what is that difference? Do you know? I think I read it was like 19 years or something. Oh my gosh. I didn't know it was that much. Okay. Yeah. That's it's weird. Brother from a different mother. Yeah. <laughs> In my head, the Ish. the characters were about ten years apart, which can happen. Yeah. So yeah, Joaquin was twenty eight in that in that role, but you know he could have been an older kid or something like yeah. that. I mean, it would have. It, it, Typically, when you have nineteen out. years between kids, there's a lot of other kids. But first marriage. We're going to overtime. We'll be right back with breaking news and exclusive interview and some of the best Captain content you've ever heard. Stay tuned. Glad we're back and better than ever. Money, tell us about the director's chair. All right. So this director was M. Night Shyamalan. And I know what everybody wants to know, what the M stands for, and it is Matt. Money. <laughs> no, it's not. It's Minoj. 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 Nicky Minoj? Minoj. A <laughs> toi? M-A-N-O-J. I should have asked somebody how to Minoj. Just, I think it's Minoj. So he was born in India, but moved to Pennsylvania at six weeks. So obviously he has absolutely no remembrance of anything but Pennsylvania. His father was a neurologist and his mother was an OBGYN. He was raised Hindu, but he went to Christian private schools growing up. He graduated from New York University Tisch School of Arts in 1992, which classic you just mentioned. Yeah. A couple. Talk about Tisch all the time. Deep dives ago. So one of his biggest things 
that he did in movies was he co-wrote Stuart Little. Yeah. And then he did some rewrites of She's All That. I know that that's, I think that's a point of contention with some people, but one of the people in charge said that there's things he wrote that made it into the final movie. So the uh, twist he, of, am I a nothing bet? <laughs> and then after she's all that, then came the big one, the sixth sense, which skyrocketed him to stardom. Yeah. And then he got a little too twisty, fell out of favor with, with the public around the happening, right? Yeah. 2008. Is it something like that? He's kind of trying to claw his way back. He's got the Apple TV show. What's it called? Servant. You know, he had Split, which did pretty well. With the sequel. There's a sequel to that, right? Right. Well, it's kind of the glass. He did the, the, uh, the glass. Unbroken. Yeah. Unbreakable. Unbreakable. Split. Split and glass. Trilogy. So he's, he's kind of cloud, climbed his way up. It's tough to hit that sixth sense. Yeah. Well, old got old got mixed reviews, I would say. Yeah, it was He had a couple where it was like basically all bad reviews. Yeah. And then he's had a few here and there in recent years that have had some mixed. I watched old and I thought when I saw the preview, I was like, meh, but I still watched it anyway. And it ended up being okay to me anyway. I think part of his problem is that he so quickly shot from unknown to one of the premier directors that after those first three mega hits, they weren't bad movies, but compared to what the standard people right. had. And I'm, I'm saying I'm guilty of this too. Like I was too hard on the lady in the water. I was too hard on the happening because if I'm just comparing them to a random psychological thriller of that time. They're middle of the pack, but when you had three mega hits in a row, were and continue to be cult classics, it's just, it's hard, I think. Yeah, you also get into... And he got gimmicky. Like, I knew what the twist on The Sixth Sense was, because somebody told me that there was a twist. Mm. And when you know that's, when you know just that there's a twist, when people start talking, oh, there's a twist then you know that something that you're not expecting to happen and you're like, well, what's the only thing in this movie that makes any sense? And you're like, Oh, I, you know, he's dead or something. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And it's, so when every single movie has a twist, then your audience is more and you're more. You're always just sitting there going like, Oh, there's yeah. going to be a twist to this, you know, or like, you know that there's going to be something. So then it stops being special because it's just an expect an expectation for your movie style. And I think things like old, the reason why it did a little bit better was because there wasn't really a twist. They just had an explanation, so to speak. I think this is that way too. Like it's not truly a twist. I mean, I guess you could say the twist twist. is the alien's weakness is water, but I don't think that's really a twist. It's just more or less, it's the building of psychological tension. Like I think that his greatest skill is, building tension in the style of Hitchcock in in that kind of modern sense of that, where it can be involving a twist, but the twist isn't the key to it. And as soon as it became, Oh, what's the M night twist. And then even other filmmakers talking about that, like, Oh, we got to capture this. We got to figure out how to do this. It's a great gimmick, but it's not 
that's not what filmmaking is in its sense. Yeah, I I kind of feel like maybe we did we lost whatever his best movie really was because it almost got to a meme level mm-hmm. just like, oh, it's an M night movie. Yeah. And I didn't really hate on him or any, you know, like I didn't just not go see it because he directed or anything, but um, there's, you know, definitely the potential that. Well, and one thing he's got going for him is he's still fairly young. I mean, it's not, if he wants to direct for another 40 years, he probably could. So going back to signs is I was thinking to myself how influential he was in terms of not just filmmaking, but also television making is there are many things that I've seen in recent years where I'm like, you know what, this has some of that same feel that I, I don't wonder about. Um, I just watched um, Outer Range on Amazon and loved it. And I thought, man, this could have easily been something that he inspired. I'm not saying he was the inspiration, but I feel like stuff he was doing in the early 2000s is still a big part of the culture today. He definitely changed the game, so to speak, brought his own style. It's amazing that he even made it, you know, from like being so original, uh, yeah. you know, to probably too original to probably a whole lot of people. And that's not necessarily, I mean, especially today, that is that is frowned upon to a certain extent. There's been Honestly, so many wonder like if he, you know, we just take a time machine, we take him, it never happened when it happened and he's shopping in the last two, three years, he's shopping the sixth sense. How many studios are jumping and throwing the kind of money to get, you know, a lister at the time, Bruce yeah. Willis, you know, to, to do something like that. Yeah. You'd end up on Amazon or Netflix. Yep. Mm-hmm. And there's a 20% chance they'd try to make it into a series. Is where you True. end up to be. Movie Matt, tell us about the production design. All right. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take us on a journey. George Washington's Crossing of the Delaware River, one of the most famous paintings in American history. That painting is from Bucks, Pennsylvania. Mm. Bucks County, Pennsylvania. The third most populous county in Pennsylvania, which is where this film was primarily shot. Okay. Home to... Six universities, one of which is Delaware Valley University, which is where the majority of the scenes were filmed in their agricultural schools setup where they had the corn and all that. So I did read that he wanted to do the original scene in corn just because it's so much taller than the wheat, which most of the crop circles are all wheat. So you could see the wheat circles and then the corn was just so pronounced. That's that's interesting. I didn't piece that together. The vast majority of the scenes were in Bucks County. The bookstore, pizza scenes, pizza shop scenes were filmed in Newtown, Pennsylvania. And the pharmacy was Morrisville, Pennsylvania. Location-wise, it almost seemed Midwestern. Could have been Iowa, some of the shots. Yeah. I'm kind of curious if, I mean, obviously it was on purpose, but... That was interesting that, you know, their book on UFOs was like, oh, this looks exactly like this house. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly, exactly like this house. That's weird. Like, yeah, the windows look the same. It's like, wow, that is that same house. Did anybody look to see if that's a real book? 
or if it's something they made for the movie. I, I, so I do know that they made the house yeah. for the movie. If you guys were curious, the Hess family car is a 1993 Ford Taurus GL wagon. Oof. Freaking wagon. But you man. get that amazing scene of them man. crawling on the top and <laughs> catching the radio frequencies. But took me back. It's now time for the sound of music. So the score for Signs was composed by American film composer James Newton Howard, also a music producer and a keyboardist who has composed over 100 film scores since 1984. He's been nominated for Best Score at the Academy Awards seven times, Prince of Tides, The Fugitive, My Best Friend's Wedding, Michael Clayton, Defiance, and, and News of the World. Michael Clayton's a great movie. Yeah, it is. I'm a big fan of Defiance, too. I think that's a good, that's good, good film. Before he started scoring films, he worked with musicians such as Ringo Starr, Elton John, Harry Nilsson, Shaka Khan, <laughs> and Barbara Streisand. And he continued working with them uh, on their records into the late 90s, even as he started doing film composition. As I mentioned, his first score was in 1984 for the original Dune. Wow. It's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And didn't the new Dune by Hans Zimmer just win at the last Oscars, I believe? I believe so, yeah. yeah. Some other noteworthy film scores he created include Pretty Woman, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, Dave... Collateral in King Kong. Okay. Uh, he also has done uh, The Born Legacy, Nightcrawler, Ryan the Last Dragon, some yeah. Disney stuff. He also scored the Hunger Games series, Batman Begins, and The Dark Knight with Hans Zimmer, uh, and the Fantastic Beast series, and eight of M. Night Shyamalan's films. He also wrote the theme song and score for the pilot episode of ER. So I'm sure. Oh wow! I'm sure most of us probably watched ER. So that theme song, he wrote it. Oh, that's crazy. His most recent work was scoring the Willow series that recently came out on Disney Plus. Anybody watch that? Not yet. Nope. It's Anywhere. on. It's on my I'll be to do list soon because <laughs> we just watched original Willow with the kids and they. It's 4K they now on Disney Plus. Yeah. yeah. Howard was asked to reference the classic film scores from similar genres. The opening music and main three note motif is very similar to psycho and the twilight zone. There you go. Howard also did something rather unusual with the score for signs in that he started composing the score before the film had even been shot. He credits Shyamalan's detailed storyboards for the reason he was able to do so. Oh, I thought that it was a great score. I thought it added the tension. I noticed which probably isn't good to a certain extent, but I noticed that it was adding to the tension and I just thought that it was a great score. And it's one of those things where 
it's kind of a mix between you might want to listen to it, but it's also just kind of specific to the movie at the same time. I don't know. Like, I, like, I, I don't know that I would want to yeah. own the science score. I think it's a great collaboration in that it drew me in and the frenetic pace of going from, Oh my gosh, I just saw something. And then just like that patiently waiting all those scenes of them, you know, watching TV or things like that, which apparently movie Matt is not a fan of, but (laughs) (laughs) I like that more build up, less payoff type of a, style for this this type of if movie. they were watching on an apple tv he would be okay <laughs> did you like blair witch project i don't think i have ever seen that movie wow. in its entirety wow i've even seen that film yeah. and that's that's this is a captain first well it's an outstanding like there are many and i think that's probably in that genre that i've already talked about where like i have more glaring omissions of things that I should see in the sound department, sound designer and supervising sound editor, Richard King would go on to be four for six at the Academy Awards for best sound editing, winning for master and commander, the dark Knight, inception and Dunkirk. So wow. A lot of Christopher Nolan. He's a Christopher Nolan sound guy. Re-recording mixer, Michael Semanic would also go on to be nominated 11 times for Best Sound Mixing at the Academy Awards, winning for Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, and for King Kong. And finally, sound mixer Ted A. Maitland has been nominated five times for Best Sound or Best Sound Mixing at the Academy Awards, but unfortunately never winning. He was most recently nominated for Joker and West Side Story. This movie, and I guess movies like it, when they spend most of the time with the unseen, you know, not seeing that the the key thing that you need, they depend way more heavily on the sound mixing and whether it's running through the corn or the scrapes and the scratches or the clicks and all those kinds of things. I got to say they did a good job. I bet when the aliens come in the house, I bet on you guys, the systems when the aliens come in the house and the sounds yeah, of them hitting the walls all around, going you. them ar- going around the house, so, yeah. super cool. I did notice it. I do you have the you have the disc? Yes. So I watched on HBO Max, and it wasn't as it wasn't where I wanted it to be. I was thinking this needs to be done into an Atmos track yes. because this would be an amazing like, ev- you know, everything around you could sound like there's and even um, in the cornfield, yeah, like hearing them. Yeah, it was. Through there it, and, it was a nice surround mix, but you're right. It, an Atmos track would really. It's one of those take things the next level. where they could. They probably could have done more. It sounded good, but they could have done. It could be probably better as far as spatially, because especially with the knocking. I mean, I, I mean, I could probably get my in-laws, record it, <laughs> and then we could then bang it on just the walls, the sound, and then the redo that yeah. that section, and you just yeah. All around you. But this one doesn't have that 4K release yet. So when it gets a 4K release, there is a chance. Noel Dangeroso, my ballet recital. (laughs) Tell us about cinematography. All right. I want you guys to pay attention because there's wordplay. 
we once again, oh God, Movie Matt's checked out already. <laughs> no, Movie Matt's here. <laughs> Today, we once again viewed the work of 83-year-old American cinematographer Takashi Fujimoto, also known as Tak. His epic career includes over 45 features between 1973 and 2013 when he retired. His first experience as a cinematographer was on Terrence Malick's highly regarded Badlands. He was a favorite collaborator of directors Jonathan Demme and Howard Deutsch. This was his second of three collaborations with Shemalama Ding Dong. <laughs> first, they did The Sixth Sense, and the last was on The Happening. A few of Fujimoto's other notable works include Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Pretty in Pink, the Silence of the Lambs, Singles, Philadelphia, and the 2004 version of The Manchurian Candidate. We last saw his work in our season two deep dive into That Thing You Do. Yeah. Captains, what was your take on the visuals? Were you sad or glad we are back in black with tack? <laughs> How long did you work on that? I don't know how to respond to that. Uh, it came to me in a vision. You know, I think... <laughs> I saw my dead wife, and she oh, told me. Dear Lord. I appreciated it, but I, I felt like it was just... Uh, I'm trying to think of the right way to say it. Like, it was almost like timeless cinematography. It's like 85% there. Okay. A lot of it, I don't know. And maybe my mind is biased because the slow builds of everything just killed this for me. And I'll get into that in a few minutes. <laughs> but um, no, I, I did think there were a lot of really good scenes. I'm thinking of the initial crop circle scene. And I kind of liked how they did the you know he's walking through and it's all very single camera and then finally they pull out and i mean you got to think how they do that shot today you know freaking be a drone yep. a drone yeah. or it had or, to be a helicopter it, then. it really probably would have been a helicopter today with a freaking you know four million dollar camera on the front of it um and it was it was and even then because this is what 2002 yeah. Like they had gyro cameras um on the front, you know, the FLIR gyro cameras on the front of helicopters for ENG and 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 cinematography definitely. And it was a handheld camera shot. Like old school like 90s like OJ Simpson car chase style, <laughs> the guy who's strapped on uh to the to you know chopper 4. Yeah. And I appreciated that shot. But it wasn't timeless. Okay. Like if it did kind of make it like right then I was like, okay, this movie is set nineties, which it wasn't even a nineties movie. So I thought it was that, that shot. I don't know that, that single shot in the film kind of like grabbed me in a way overall. I think it was great. I think it was mostly timeless uh, cinematography and and I think that stood out in a lot of ways for the film. But yeah, I don't know if this will make sense, but I think it looks good, but not too good. Like <clears throat> when I think yeah. about it, a lot of it's shot outdoors, and so like in the cornfield, like Matt was talking about, 
and it's maybe it was it was also probably partially because like uh money i watched it on hbo max so it might have been a little bit grainier on there because i didn't i don't know was it in 4k do you know chris no so so it might be nicer and what well no, nope, it's not it's 4K, HD. It's in yep. HD. It's so yep. either way, it was grainy as hell on my machine or on my projector. I was like, "Man, this is freaking grainy." Yeah, but a lot of the things he did, I liked, um, and a lot of this was maybe not so much just him as the cinematographer, but him in collaboration with the di- the director, such as the part when they're down in the basement and Meryl knocks out the lights. And you have that, what, like maybe 15, 20 seconds of you hear nothing but sound. Like, that's a choice, but yep. I think it's a choice that, you know, enhances the movie. And also when it, sorry. Oh, and also when he use, yeah, uses the flashlight, it, you kind of get that, what I like to call the uh, Silent Hill effect, mm-hmm. where you only see what the flashlight shows. So mm-hmm. you're like, <laughs> you know what can be a, what's right there yes. right out of view you know so but i don't know how much that is technically cinematography as opposed to working with the director and what the director's vision is with the shots they take and make there's a lot of um static shots there are i think it was in excess of 10 or 15 shots that are over like 60 seconds long where the camera is focused on a single point. And sometimes they did some really interesting layering of characters. So like uh, the shot where Meryl is sitting in the, at the very front and he's looking at the brochure and his brother comes in after having the alien encounter. And then the kids are at the very back playing at the sink. And that scene plays out that way with like three different layers of characters. And there's a lot of scenes like right. that that are quite beautiful. I love the stylistic choices that uh, Tack makes in this film. It's so dark and features a lot of longer takes with interesting movement. For my favorite visual, I'm going to go with the scene near the end at the top of the stairs where Graham tells Bo the story of her birth. The men are boarding up a closed door, which is technically an impossible camera position. And when they cover the first viewing angle, the camera drops down to a lower vantage point, almost like an elevator. And you get that beautiful emotional point between the father and the daughter. And then the, as the rest of the family descends the stairs, Meryl slams the final board across and covers the camera and closes out the scene. There's just like so many shots like that in the supposed like slower moments, according to movie <laughs> Matt, that I feel like are so beautiful and staggered and you see people reacting to things that you don't see. So almost every time one of the guys sees something outside or an aliens are coming, you don't see anything. You just see them and their reaction and their like stunned look in one of those layered shots. And I thought it was once again, I think that the sound and the visuals of this movie are what take it to the next level beyond the story. I wouldn't say it's my favorite shot, but but an iconic picture esque moment from the film is, of course, whenever <laughs> you see them all sitting on the couch with the 
tinfoil hats hilarious. on. Hilarious. Yes. And I also just wanted to say that uh, the cinematographer, I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that he uh, shot the pilot from MacGyver. So, yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, good. <laughs> Explain that crazy. You know, curse and stuff. Want me to curse? You don't mean it. It's just for show. What? It won't be convincing. It doesn't sound natural when I curse. Just make noises then. Explain noises. Are you gonna do this or what? No, I'm not. All right, you want to be stealing something in the house next time? On the count of three. One, two, three. <laughs> ah! I'm insane with anger! We're gonna beat your ass, bitch! We're gonna tear your head off! I'm losing my mind! All right, that brings us to the Captain's Choice, where we all give a film recommendation for if you liked Signs, what you should queue up next. Matty G, what do you got for us today? I have a movie we have t- I have talked about before, I think two or three times on the on the podcast now. This probably makes the fourth. 2019's the Vast of Night. Uh, want to give another shout out. This is a mystery sci-fi film set in New Mexico in the 1950s about a switchboard operator and a local radio DJ who discover a mysterious audio frequency that they begin to investigate after they feel it might be otherworldly. It's very Hitchcockian uh, and you know plays on the whole extraterrestrial extraterrestrial uh, theme. What I'm looking for, yeah, theme of this film. This was a small indie film made for $700,000 by Oklahoma filmmaker Andrew Patterson that was purchased by Amazon after it was shown at several film festivals. And you can still find it on Prime Video. I think I think Johnny Dangerous maybe uh, Money over here. I think one of them seen it at least. What do you guys think about this one if you've seen it? I watched it at your recommendation and agree. <laughs> Say the name of it one more time. The Vast of Night. Okay. It is uh, quite sh- good. And it's short. You'll love it. Yeah. Man. And it also <laughs> oh has, God. but it also has this same theme where you spend a lot of time oh, on I the verge, yep. on the verge of aliens, you right. know, sort of a thing, you know, that. Yep. It's <laughs> exactly that. It is. Yep. Yep. Mm hmm. I don't think it'd be like it is, but it do. <laughs> Johnny D, what do you got? The similarity between signs and my choice has to deal with the plot involving a father who is trying to protect his preteen son from otherworldly danger. Midnight Special is a 2016 sci-fi drama from director Jeff Nichols. It stars Michael Shannon, Joel Edgerton, Kristen Dunst, Adam Driver, Sam Shepard, and a very young Jaden Martell, who we got to know as the teen troll in Knives Out. Even with positive reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, it remains somewhat unknown indie movie, but that comes with my complete endorsement. Have any of the other captains seen 
or even heard of this film? Nope. I've heard of it, but of course, whenever you mentioned Midnight Special, I thought of Midnight Run. (laughs) Also great. (laughs) Completely different. (laughs) Totally different. I Googled it, and this is not the film that I came up with. Okay. I'll just leave it at that. (laughs) (laughs) Who was the star of that film, Matt? (laughs) (laughs) Dusty Bottoms. Peaky Blinders. <laughs> I have no comment. Nipple St. Leroy. <laughs> um, she was living her truth. <laughs> Dude, I'll put that in the thing. I, I would seriously recommend, if, if you guys haven't seen any of Jeff Nichols' stuff, he is one of the best indie movie directors right now, and there is a really high chance <laughs> that in the coming months i am going to select one of his films because every single one of them i have been pretty much blown away by movie matt we've come to you the most elite and trained purveyor of all film what should we watch next well i think we should watch contact (laughs) (laughs) i feel like this has come up for you before uh, this has been on my list uh, for quite a while, and, and we're going to get there. We just haven't yet. Um, this film by directed by Robert Zembrex. No. Zemeckis? This film. <laughs> I don't know if he's the director, but that's Robert you, Zemeckis. Yes. Okay. Yeah, Robert. This yeah. film directed by Robert Zemeckis. <laughs> Well, now you got to say it again because that's all that laughter I can't get rid it's of. It's too good, though. It's too good. Unless you want me to leave in the mispronunciation. <laughs> Guys, I think I think the bigger story is that what I've learned from this podcast is that all this time I have spent like being like, my eyes are really good and the fonts should be small so I can maximize my screen. I think I might be past those days. And I need to make the words bigger. I mean, Jodie Foster, Matthew McConaughey. It 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 is first contact, and it's the more positive outcome, not the invasion mm-hmm. outcome continually that we see in in signs. And we don't really know. I mean, I'm not going to go into the full thing of contact because. I'm going to get there. I'm going to find a reason to link it to the podcast soon enough. But in the whole genre of first contact and how that will actually play out in the day by day, you know, I was struck by the, you see the news shots, you know, I think in, it's actually more realistic, (laughs) the news coverage. And I think they have CNN people in there that they use in their heyday. In contact, I was into that a little bit more than science. Well, science digs into it in the, you know, the hostile outcome and the, you know, the individual family, you see it more societal and contact. But anyway, that's, that's what brought that movie to mind for me that, and I've just always been a fan of it. Contact is a great movie and it's similar in that you spend little time with the aliens, but philosophically it's so much different because it's really more about, humanity i don't know i well, mean science how, is about science humanity, is humanity too humanity but it's more about like too. it's more about one man's struggle with you know one family struggle with this over that versus that's more about like on a global level 
like this whole kind of a micro macro. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it takes a very, it takes a much wider perspective and the bad guys are humans or humans at odds with each other in competition. It's about the, you know, humanity, but also a man's struggle with his faith and yeah, his it family, does have the faith so. connection because that's McConaughey character too. Yeah. But also in science. Cause yeah, I mean, it's a little more in your face since he was a priest and whatnot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it very much like uh, the characters in contact are representing humanity to the aliens versus in this, it's, it's literally this small family and they're on their own isolated getting in these reports from the rest of the world. But it's not like the rest of the world is changing based on their behavior. Right. Money. What do you got? <laughs> well, it's pretty tough to follow up movie, Matt. You know, I will say that I picked War of the Worlds, which yes, was written by S.G. Wheels. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I well, he used that. to be it used to be H.G. Legs before the accident. Yeah. And he had to change his name. So <laughs> it happens at the micro micro level. Way back in the fifties, nineteen fifty three, War of the Worlds. So you've got the. Aliens kind of, you, you see some aliens attacking, you have, um, it's a little bit more, you know, it's got the military involved and how they respond to the aliens and things. So it's kind of a different, it kind of has both where it's the government and then it has personal impact. And then what has to be one of the big drivers for the ending of signs is the fact that instead of the atmosphere that kills them, it's water, which is just about the same as the atmosphere. So it's air. Our yeah. air kills yeah. them. Yeah. So it has the same kind of like, Oh, that, well, they were really powerful and they showed up and then they just kind of went away and they had to figure it out. I would They'll be fully bad. imagine in interviews that Shyamalan would list war of the worlds as highly influential. Yeah. Yeah. And then, also, you could tie it to the Tom Cruise War of the Worlds, but I think yeah. that was a couple years, maybe like 2005, a couple years after this. Yeah. Right. I think either one would And would even, even things like Independence Day, basically all the movies where their weakness is something that seems kind of trivial to us. All right, that brings us to our conclusions. And as always, we start with the lowest score first. Movie Matt, what did you think? Lots of teasers. Lots of teasers. Breathe heavier into the mic. <laughs> Guys, I've been thinking about this film. So much buildup. Take some time. Just imagine me walking through a field as I think about the review that I'm going to give for this film. (sighs) (laughs) Wow. Okay, so... Insert knocking over a bottle of water right here. (laughs) 
this it, it's interesting because this is I remember watching this. I I can't place like the specifics, but I was a kid. I watched it like in the theater when it was coming out with some buddies, and I remember like we were like, oh, oh yeah. I mean, I don't think I liked it then a lot. It's a good film. I appreciated it. They completed a project. Um, there's always that, but I don't know. I just nothing overly grabbed me. Like it's just basic. Like what about this film is not like USA or TBS or it wouldn't be TBS. They're comedy. It'd be TNT. Like what? What is this? Like why is this film not in that? Like it just didn't seem anything better to me than like a cable show that would be on on the weekend, like nothing. Uh, and, or, you know, maybe on, what was that streaming service? We always made fun of Quibi, Quibi, Quibi. you know, <laughs> so well, actually, much never made fun of it. It would, it would not be on Quibi because they were about quick, quick. Right. I, I struggle with this one. And I know that dangerous is getting struggle. Dangerous is getting frustrated with my long review, but that's how I felt through this whole film. It's just, I don't know. It, I'm going to give it a 3.25 captains. <laughs> I thought what? it was going to be sub three. <laughs> do you remember what they mean? Do I need to send you that file no, again? No, don't do that. <laughs> no. I, I do need to. I'm going to look no, at it. Right I, it like. it's, unless you send it to me 10 minutes ago, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm going to start saying what they mean after he says 3.25. Impressive. I mean, right. it was impressive. It was impressive. It was impressive. They completed it. it. They completed the project. It was good. It wasn't great. Nothing about this no, is timeless. No, it was good is three, so it was better than good. It was slightly better than... I would have given a 3.12. <laughs> Thankfully, we don't have those ratings. <laughs> I'm driving nuts. Uh that's a good score. I have no problem with 3.25. That's pretty accurate. Just yeah. not what you said. Yeah. All right. Johnny Dangerous. What did you think? <laughs> Probably the same. Just a lot of different words to describe. <laughs> All right. I am certain that I saw this movie in the theaters. After Sixth Sense, I basically saw everything in the few following years uh, that he did. I think I may have even watched this one a couple of times in the theaters. For me, if you would have asked me in the early 2000s, Shyamalan was one of my favorite directors. And I watched the rest of his films between, let's say, 99 and 2006 so many times at the time. At, uh, during those years, they were playing on whatever cable networks we were able to get in the dorms. Oh, and it would be nothing to catch the second, third, or grab this or grab that. And, you know, if it was on, you were going to sit and watch the rest of it. That's when kind of right around that time, post 2006, probably around 2008 happening drops and the fans and the critics both turned on him later in the decade. And I was slow to do it, but I kind of probably did the same. I really stopped making a point of watching his new movies. And didn't really go back and revisit the old ones as much anymore. For this review, I went ahead and I purchased the Blu-ray. 
And that's what I watched. While some of the special effects haven't aged the best, the tone, style, and philosophy are still just as sharp as ever. I do have some issues with the last 10 minutes being a little clunky, but ultimately the sharp wit, jump scares, and character development put this easily among the top three films from the director and quite likely my favorite. I kind of wish he had stuck to the more intrigue style of this film and not relied so much on twist endings from his others. Signs earns three and one half puffs from my trusty asthma inhaler. All right. Talk about fear and death. Up next is me. Anything could happen. I thought, so I watched this in the theaters. I, there were so many things that I didn't remember accurately. Can we touch at the beginning where I thought it was way longer until we actually saw one of the aliens that surprised me watching it. I was like, Oh, there's clearly an alien. I think that I, the thing that I really like about the story is how they tie in the coincidences versus the destiny thing and how everything kind of happened for a reason, so to speak. If I was going to go into detail and, and, talk about it more and be like, well, there's other ways to have your wife say swing away. Um, other than splitting up with you, <laughs> Dear Lord. <laughs> you know, so there's all that stuff like, Oh, you know, my, you know, or your son could be a swimmer instead of having life threatening asthma. He could just be a swimmer, hold his breath for a long time, but whatever. Yeah. So there's, there's, you know, definitely things that you could change about this whole thing, but I did enjoy that story. I thought the music was great. It adds suspense. It really gets you into this heightened heightened mode of others' danger. I'm going to give it 3.5 captains. And that leaves us with Movie Matt. Nope. Nope. I mean, not. Matty G. <laughs> All right. I, too, I think I saw this in, film, in the theater. For some reason... I only have four movies ticket stubs from 2002, and that just can't be right. <laughs> Plus, I know I Hated saw Six Sense, <laughs> Six Sense, and Unbreakable, and I also saw The Village and Lady in the Water. So I know I didn't just skip over signs. <laughs> You're like, nope, not yeah. for me. <laughs> Anywho, I've seen this film several times, but it's probably it's been over ten years since I've seen this. Uh. And like we all mentioned, we forgot certain things about it, so it was nice to watch it again. Most people are hit or miss with Shyamalan. If you look at scores on the films, you can kind of tell that too. But I think I'm that overall I'm more inclined to enjoy his films more so than maybe other people, even the more divisive ones like The Village and Lady in the Water. But I would put Signs as, if not, either one or two of my favorite of his. I thought the acting was good. The film has moments that remind you how good of an actor Mel Gibson could be. Joaquin Phoenix does well playing a subdued supporting character and Abigail Breslin catches your eye on her film debut. And I, as I mentioned earlier, always enjoy seeing Cherry Jones who played the local police officer. Cinematography and the music were both well done, smart and effective. I give signs 3.75 tinfoil hats. 
I have a feeling I can do that average in my head. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Should be. That brings us to 3.5 captains. <laughs> Computer <laughs> sounds. <laughs> that ain't half bad. Keeping it even keel. We have had a 3.5 before. The last time was back in season two on Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot. <laughs> so another Walking Phoenix picture. And also on Three Kings and Big Fish. I love how dangerous is like, uh, like the, uh, it's like Romo vision. <laughs> You're watching football. Back in 64. <laughs> All right, Maddie G, what can you see from the crow's nest? Coming up on the next deep dive, Movie Matt is using the next golden ticket to select the 2015 action thriller Sicario. Nice. This film is directed by Denny Villeneuve and stars new Mary Poppins, Frankie Fourfingers, Thanos, Fred Hampton, and Wayne Jenkins. At time of recording, this film is streaming on Prime Video and is available for rent or purchase on any of the major digital platforms. Join us as we all don bulletproof vests and head for the border. No Taco Bell for us, though. Just a hail of gunfire oh, with the side of a cartel. All this and more on the next Deep Dive. Can't wait. Del Taco, bitches. <laughs> I feel like I already know my favorite scene. <laughs> That brings to the close another episode of the Deep Dive. As always, we're going to end with one of our favorite quotes from the film. Is douchebag a curse? So excluding the possibility that a female Scandinavian Olympian has been running around outside of our house last night, what else could it have been? Morgan, this podcasting is just about a bunch of nerds who never had a girlfriend their whole lives. They're like 40 now. They make up secret codes and analyze Greek mythology and make secret societies where other guys who have never had girlfriends could join in. That's depressing. <laughs> There's a monster outside my room. Can I have a glass of water? That concludes another deep dive from Too Many Captains. You can find us on a moviepodcast.com as well as Instagram and Twitter. If you enjoyed what you heard today, subscribe, write a review, or post a link to your favorite episode on social media. Give us some feedback. It really does help. We will be back with another mini next week. And thanks for listening.